0: And my hope this morning is that we can look at it from a slightly different angle. Um, when I was a kid, I liked to climb things, like really, really tall things, uh, like those big old electrical, you know, it's not very smart to do, children don't do that. Um, but I, I, I used to climb those, and the reason that I did is because I could look at the world that I knew the neighborhood that I lived in, the place that, but I could see it from a different place. I could see it a little differently. And my hope is that this morning we take this very familiar uh, passage of Scripture and hopefully look at it a little bit differently. Uh, Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, Give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey to a far country. And there he squandered his, uh, he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he, when he had spent everything, a severe famine rose in that country, and he began to be in need. I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say to my father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And he felt compassion, and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put on a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate, for my son was dead, is alive again, and he was lost and is found. And they begin to celebrate. Dear friends, this is the word of the Lord. I want to use this very familiar passage as like a launching pad, if you will, a framework to talk about this idea of the hospitality or the welcome of God. If you were uh, alive between the 2nd and 16th century and you were on a long journey and you were tired of lugging your packs and telling the kids to keep going and feeding them out of whatever bag that you had, you know what you hoped for? You hoped that just over the horizon you would see a church. Because you knew at least at that time that if you came over and you saw a church that that was a place of refuge. That that was a place of welcome. That you could go and you could receive a warm meal, a warm bed. And that they would welcome you with all humility and grace. And that you could stay as long as you want. That's what you would look for if you were alive between the 2nd and 16th century. There was a man named Benedict that was alive during that time. And he wrote wrote a little book about how we are to welcome sojourners and strangers and people into the church. And this is what he said. He said, all guests that present themselves are to be welcomed as Christ for he himself will say i was a stranger and you welcomed me proper honor must be shown to all especially to those who share our faith and to all pilgrims once a guest has presented himself he will show him we will show him all courtesy and all love and all humanity will be shown to the guest from the moment that they arrive in the moment that they depart. And we will do this by the bowing of our head or complete prostration before them because Christ in them must be adored. Ah, that's beautiful. When I think about the word hospitality, it's really a word that has been segregated now, as we're thinking, to hospitals and hotels. Right? If you Google hospitality, it will some, somehow pull up through it some scientific way of you know, how to organize your hotel or something along those lines. They won't tell you how to welcome somebody into your home and to love and to care for them. But the idea of hospitality is actually rooted in who God is. In who God is. So the son, right? He comes to his father and he says, You know what? Everything that belongs to me, I want it now. Do you know what really he's actually saying to his father? I wish you were dead. Because that's usually when you get an inheritance, right? Right? is when your father or somebody passes or they pass it off. And his father looks at him and he doesn't say no, even though he knows what he's going to do. He doesn't question his intentions. He doesn't say, son, please don't do this. Please don't go spend your life riotously. Please don't take what I have given you and spend it frivolously. Please don't do that. He says, okay. And he gives him this portion of what his, and this young man actually believes because he's an idiot, okay? He actually believes that the world out there has something to offer, that it has all the bells and the whistles, it has everything that a 20-year-old something testosterone-driven young man wants. And so he goes and he takes a journey. And what he begins to understand is as long as he has this money and as long as this economic exchange continues, the place that he's living is a hospitable place. So he has money. He hands it off to these people. He has friends. He's got like a posse and an entourage and ladies. And it's great. Life is good. He's full. Everything that he needs is available to him. But as soon as the money runs out, As soon as the economic exchange is no longer there, he begins to understand that the world that was once hospitable has become a very inhospitable place to be. And too ashamed to go home right away, he tries to find a way to live. And so he hires himself out. And they send him out into the fields... To feed pigs. Now I'm a city boy, friends. Okay, I was born and raised in Seattle. I just moved from Brooklyn. I don't know a whole lot about pigs. I know that they're made of bacon and ham. Praise God. That's what I know. My favorite sandwich is a ham sandwich. Thank God for pigs, right? But what I don't really understand is what it's like to live with one. Nor do I don't understand is it what it's like to eat that which the pig is eating that has to be a horrible place. And that's where he is. And it's in this moment of despair, and it's in this moment of this hostile place that he is in, he begins to think about who his father is. And he says to himself, at least my father's servants have more than enough. They have more than enough. And so if I can get my father to hire me just as a servant, I know that at least I'll have three square meals and a bed to sleep in. See, what the son is looking for is a more fairer and economic exchange. Dad, I can't call you dad anymore. Hire me as one of your servants, and I'm going to work for you, and at least I know that I'll be taken care of. And he awakens and he comes to himself. He almost has an epiphany. He says, I'm going to go to my father I'm going to say, I've sinned against you and against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Hire me as a servant. And he begins to go. And what does he receive? This welcome. Before he could even get to the house, his father is running to him. And he says, I'm not, going, not only going to bring you in, I'm going to get you the best robe. I'm going to put a ring on your finger, shoes on your feet, and I'm going to celebrate and have a party. Because my son, who was lost, is now is found. That's the welcome of our God, friends. That's the hospitality of our God. He gives him this undeserved, unearned, grace-filled welcome. That's the beauty of who our God is. Now this wasn't enough for the first century church and for the church for the first 400 years just to sit on a theological shelf somewhere. They look at it and say, hey, that's awesome. That's who God is. And then go about their business. What they begin to say and they begin to realize is if that's who our God is, then that's who we are supposed to be. And so they begin to welcome the poor and the needy and the broken into their homes. And they didn't say, where's your background? Are you a Christian? Do you love God? No. Come. Come. We will welcome you. We will put clothes on your back. We will put shoes on your feet and we'll give you a warm meal. And this is how the church began to grow. By people welcoming others into their home, sharing a meal with them, and declaring the good news of who Jesus is in word and in deed. And it's a beautiful thing. And what's interesting that we see throughout the Gospels and we see throughout the life of Christ is that not only does He command hospitality, but He also asks for it. It's fascinating to me. Not only does He say that you are to be a hospitable people because that's who I am, that's who my Father is, but then He actually acquires and asks for hospitality to be displayed, to be shown to Him. Jesus' entire ministry is sitting around tables. He looks at Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, I know you're a tax collector, but I want to eat. I want you to show me hospitality. Invite me into your home. I'm going to sit down and eat with you. He's over at Mary and Martha's house in Luke chapter 11. He's sitting down with the Pharisees. He's at parties. He's hanging out with people. He's always at the place of a table. I find that fascinating. Now, I don't really under- know why, so I'm saying this is conjecture on my part, separating what I think from what the Bible says, but I think it's a good, it's a good thing. Why did Jesus do this? Why do we see him at a table? Why do we see him being at, not only like, showing hospitality, but then wanting it? Because I think that there's something about the context of a home. you're sitting down at a table. And maybe you've accepted an invitation to somebody else's house, or maybe you've extended one, and you guys come in, maybe don't know one another very well, and you sit down at a table. And the thing that differentiates you and I, the thing that separates us, that space at the table is closed. And we have this life-on-life, face-to-face, real and tangible experience with one another. And you see Jesus throughout all of the Bible that that's where he preferred to be. He preferred to be sitting down at a party, talking with people, talking about the kingdom of God, sharing life with them. And I think that there is a beautiful place for the context of a home. And friends, this is how the gospel the church began to grow. And it's interesting, the irony of it is that the loss of hospitality in our culture was because of material gain. But for the first 400 years of the church, they were adamant of that we are going to do this, we are going to be little, even though if we're a church corporate or a church scattered, our homes and our body is going to be these little incubators for hospitality. But when Constantine began to make Christianity a statewide religion, they begin to build hospitals and they begin to build hotels and inns. And what they begin to do is, with at the core of what Christianity was, at the core of who God is, they begin to farm it out to these other places. Now, I'm thankful for hospitals, right? I don't know if my wife would be here if it wasn't for a hospital. But if you want to relax and go spend some time with somebody, you're not going to say, "Hey, you want to go to a hospital? I heard their food's awesome." You know, I just want to relax and chill. I'm going to go get a bed at the local hospital. Just relax. No. But we see that in our DNA. We see St. Anthony's, St. Jude, the Adventist Church. Like it was in our DNA to welcome people and to love them that these places actually started as little, like, little places for hospitality and God's love. You know, we don't hear of Darwin Hospital or Nietzsche Hospital, do we? Matter of fact, if we did, I don't want to know if I would ever go. Darwin Hospital. Survival of fittest. Good luck. You <laughs> know? But see, it was in our DNA as Christians to welcome people. But we farmed it out to other things. And yet by the 17th century, this man that you might have heard of named John Calvin said this, the office of hospitality has nearly ceased to be properly observed among people. The ancient hospitality celebrated in the New Testament is unknown to us. And inns, or hotels, as we would know it, now supply the accommodations for strangers. And he warned that the increasing dependence upon ends is actually a sign of our depravity. Now, I'm going to be honest. I was in Colorado Springs about two months ago on a, on a church planting trip. And I was filling up my gas tank And if somebody came and says, hey, where are you staying? you from out of town? Yeah, I'm from out of town. Where are you staying? Well, it's such and such hotel. You know, we'll scrap it. Come stay with me. (laughs) No. No. I'm not going to do that. As a matter of fact, stay away from me. You know, it's like, but this was actually in the DNA of who we were. We would invite people into our home. And I can tell you, friends, I'm not going to let us off the hook, right? Because I know that the idea of welcoming somebody into your home that you don't know at all is frightening, right? But look around. When's the last time that somebody inside that you know you've had into your home? When's the last time that... You've had somebody in the neighborhood that you've lived for 10 years, the neighbor that lived across the street. When's the last time you extended an invitation and said, you know, n- nothing, no pretenses. I just want to invite you over, get to know you. Will you share a meal with us? It's the last time that's happened? It's a fascinating thing. I was looking over the, our congregation a couple weeks ago. Right now we're at best maybe only 50 people we haven't even officially started yet, but I'm looking at them. I was kind of looking. And this kind of interesting thing is when you're, you're looking and you're thinking about something, but you don't know what you're saying. <laughs> and I was looking at all of them and I was talking, but I didn't know really what I was saying. I was like, yep, you've been to our home. Yep, you've been to our table. Yeah, you've been to our table. Every single person had been in our home. And we've shared a meal with them. There were some people that said, Ryan, I would have never walked into the church again. As a matter of fact, I made a promise to my husband that I would never walk into church again. But when you invited us into your home, and you shared a meal, and we got to know you, I'm coming. I'm coming. And see what the early church understood, friends, is this, that this welcome that we are all given in Jesus, this undeserved, unearned, we squandered all His good gifts, yet He still welcomes us. You know what they understood? Is that that was, not only do we welcome, but we have that to extend that welcome everywhere we go. The welcome that we've been given, we take and we give. And that's what they did. And so they begin to welcome people. We're going to welcome them into their homes and into their lives. And this is how the church began to grow. And what's so fascinating is not only did they welcome them, they understood this mystery that Luke 9 says, that if you've done these to the least of these, you've done it unto me. They believed that as they welcomed people into their home and into their church, they were welcoming Jesus in the face of that person. That's Jesus coming in. Because Jesus says, if you've done it to them, you're doing it to me. It's fascinating. Why am I saying all of this? I think two reasons. One, the Bible says that they will know that we are gods by the way we love and welcome one another. If we're not extending this welcome, if we're not extending this hospitality and this love to one another, the world will never know that we're any different. We're supposed to live so peculiarly, is that a word? That the world looks in and says, what is happening? They love without price. They extend and welcome love to one another like nothing that I've ever seen. The way that we care for, welcome, and love one another is the apologetic to the world. That's why this is important. That We need to set aside differences. We need to set aside all this stuff. And we need to begin to love and to care for and to welcome one another. It starts here and then it begins to go out. And so here's the challenge. Think about either accepting an invitation or extending an invitation. To maybe somebody that you've exchanged pleasantries with but you say, no, I want you to come over. I want to get to know you. And you need to push aside that the house is not going to be perfect. You need, and That the meal might not be gourmet. The last time that we had somebody over at our house, it was hot dogs and macaroni and cheese. And we fed it to adults. Not kids. You know what they said? They said the home was just filled with Love. We had laundry stacked up over in the corner. And they felt at home. And I didn't have Christian music playing on the background. I wasn't kind of weird about it. I just said, let me get to know, who are you? We became friends. And they begin to understand a little bit of who God is. By our failed attempts to try and welcome somebody. So the challenge is, friends, is to not only think about how we can do that amongst ourselves, but how we can begin to invite people into this life through a simple meal that we all need, right? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the picture that we see of who You are through this passage. That even though that You know that we're going to make mistakes, we're going to be, we are sinful, that we are going to squander good gifts, yet You give us the portion of inheritance that is ours, and when we mess up, You welcome us back. And thank You for that. Thank You that through Your Son Jesus we have seen, experience, and know what it's like to be welcomed in love. Thank You for embracing us in Your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, this is a table of welcome.